This is chapter 11 of Crimes Against Christmas. I'm Heather. And I'm Ferg, and we are New Old Friends Theatre Company. Hope you're enjoying the show and starting to get excited for Christmas. Christmas is coming, holidays are coming. It's coming. Anyway, um, Hartridge is still stranded on the island with a group of strangers. So far, the cook has been killed, the Italian gangster has fallen from the roof, and there is no sign of the American oil man. What has become of Jeff with a J drummer? Enjoy the next chapter. Chapter 11. Drummed in. The princess may have had eyes only for her vodka, and the old duke similarly went straight for his scotch. But I was struck by the expression on Butler's face. All colour had drained from it, casting a grey pallor nearly identical in shade to his waistcoat. He placed his tray of drinks between the scattering of Christmas cards on the sideboard by muscle memory alone, sleepwalking his way through routine. He cleared his throat half-heartedly and raised a gloved hand, palm up, simultaneously asking for our attention and shying away from it. There was a heaviness to his movements that augured ill for whatever he was about to say, I found myself hoping that it would be some ghastly detail pertaining to Criminet's death, or maybe Betty's. But there was a feeling in my stomach, telling me my hopes were wrong. I... Sirs... Your Grace... Um... Your Highness... I... As you know, I didn't have huge reserves of sympathy for the chap, but seeing him so shaken, all vestiges of his smug self-assurance scattered to the wind was disturbing. Clearly, Lord Duplanus did not share my empathy. He had recovered from the shock of Fuctofino's callous attention deficit and was keen to impress her once again. Do get on with it, butler. And then, if you'd be so good as to arrange some music, perhaps? Princess Fuctofino is bored half to death here. Poor choice of words. Sorry, didn't mean that. I just meant she's the guest of honour and we have a duty to entertain, regardless of what inconveniences befall us. It is Christmas Eve, after all. Butler's eyes were deep wells filled with countless questions, but from his lips he could draw only one word. Sir? Put some music on and be snappy about it, Duplanus repeated. What took so bloody long with the drinks, Butler? Duke Richtenstein joined in the harangue, adding to the hurt in Butler's eyes and the cracking of his voice. I, well, we, we found drummer, your grace. That at least stopped the demands from Duplanus and Richtenstein. Both sat silently, supporting their heads in one hand and staring at the drinks they held in the other, taking in the news. Vickers adjoined Fuctifino in helping himself to a generous measure of drink, but at Butler's announcement he too sat and stared into his glass. Was there some sort of etiquette standard for situations like this I'd missed in Debrett's? When a suspected fugitive had been found, was it de rigueur to assume the position of Rodin's thinker? If so, it was also lost on the princess, who simply finished her drink and poured again. It was I who broke the silence. Seeing the state Butler was in made me fearful as to what he had done to Drummer when he found him. Where is he now, Butler? He is where she found him, sir. I pounced on the pronoun. She? Yes, sir. It was poor Missy who found Drummer first, sir. Oh, dear God. Is she okay? Had Drummer treated the young maid the same way he had dealt with Betty and been interrupted by Butler, who, filled with fury, had defended his colleagues? She is physically fine, sir, but in deep shock. She is now communicating entirely in mime, sir. Evidently enough time had passed in his contemplative pose to satisfy the principles of behaviour critics as Duplanis rose to demand, Never mind the maid. What does Drummer have to say for himself? Oh, 
Nothing at all, sir. Butler was recovering his voice and poise now. Drummer was found when Missy went to get more oil for the range, sir. He had, has, is shoved inside an oil drum, drowned in the oil, sir. A second silent stint of contemplation was clearly called for, and his lordship settled back into his chair. Vickers, who from his lack of a larger reaction I assumed was already aware of the situation, crossed himself and whispered a prayer. It came as a surprise that it was the elegant and cold princess who put into words what we were all thinking, when she announced with a flourish of her glass. This is awful. You're quite right, Your Highness. Just awful. Yes, awful, concurred Deplanus. But with it so named, he placed his empty glass to one side and slapped both his knees as he stood with a purposeful exhalation of breath. But on the bright side, we can all relax a bit now, I'd say. What are you talking about, you bloody simpleton? Barked his father-in-law, finishing his own drink and setting it down. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Deplanus was forcing a jovial tone into his voice. Or at least I think he was forcing it. It was getting ever harder to tell. We were wrong about drummer being the culprit. It's transparently clear that it must have been Don Crimine. I am sure we'd all worked out he was a habitual criminal and also a disgusting lech, which is almost certainly the motive for killing dear Betty. Poor drummer probably saw him do it, so Crimine took care of the American to remove a witness. Well, then I shouldn't wonder if he spent a sleepless night last night fretting about what he'd done, no doubt worried by Artridge's galvanising us altogether with the leadership he showed. He woke this morning, certain that the net was closing in on him, and threw himself off the roof in atonement. It was quite a tale. Had he really just put all that together on the spot? Well, there were more than a few dangling threads I'd like to tug at, but I was blocked from doing so by fuck to fino. You are right. We can now relax and finally have a party. But I was not talking about the American. I am saying this vodka is awful. It tastes very odd, like old grass. That is the finest we have, I'm afraid, Your Highness. Butler replied with an apologetic bow of his head. Clearly everyone but me had decided to take Deplanus' explanation at face value and carry on as if the last 24 hours hadn't happened. It's amazing how the human brain can compartmentalise things when under great stress. I suppose it'll have to do. I cannot dance without vodka. Oh, yes, let's do have a dance. Deplanus clapped his hands together with his fingers perfectly in line, like a child would. Butler, can you bring more drinks and fetch my wife from her room? I'll set up the gramophone. Tell Mr Dove and Miss Malowan it's safe to come down now too. All sorted and we can enjoy the rest of the party. The Lord was making his shambling way round the room, refilling everyone's glasses with a smile on his face as if the situation that had been all sorted was no worse than a broken vase, rather than the double murder-suicide he'd just laid out. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I'm sorry to object, I objected, but I'm not entirely sure that that's quite the most respectful thing. Fuck had no time for my quibbles. You may not be sure, but I am sure. In my country, death and corruption are everywhere. You cannot let it get in the way of life. The best way to respect and honour the dead is by living well. Drink vodka, dance and laugh in the face of death. Ha! Good music. As Fuktafino delivered her treaties on how one should greet death, she reached out her slender arm towards Vickers, who, to my amazement, took it like an eager schoolboy. Deplanus had found a bouncy tango record to play, and Fuktafino began to lead Vickers across the room. I wasn't in a dancing mood, so I set aside my undrunk drink, 
a profound exemplar of quite how shaken I was, and asked Butler if he'd be so good as to take me to see Missy. He briefly protested, saying he needed to fetch the other guest. But Richtenstein waved his cane in the air and said he would make the rounds in lieu of his walk earlier. I was surprised at the old man's assistance, but gratefully accepted it to allow Butler to take me to see the maid. I was concerned for the young girl, of course, but I admit my main motive was to get Butler to show me Drummer's body. The rest of the house might have accepted Lord de Planis's explanation, but I had seen Criminet late last night and he didn't seem a man unduly troubled by guilt or fear. Equally, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I was really struggling to believe lust for Betty as a motive for murder. Granted, the only situation in which I'd ever seen her, pole-axed across her worktop choked with a piping bag, wasn't the most flattering. But she would hardly have been Helen of Troy at any point. Although I suppose her face didn't need to launch a thousand ships just to float the boat of a murderer. Butler led me back through the warren of service corridors to the kitchen. Lord and Lady de Planus regularly breakfasted in the parlour and so the flagstones along the route were more worn than the pathway I'd taken from the great hall to the kitchen. I'd assumed we'd find Missy in the relative comfort and safety of her quarters, but Butler told me she'd continue to go about her daily tasks in total silence without deviation. We came upon her, washing the cookware which would have been used in the preparation for breakfast, utterly oblivious to the fact that the items were spotless as no such meal had been served. Seeing the pristine breakfast things being needlessly cleaned reminded me that I hadn't eaten properly since my picnic from the Marston's Arms the day before, so I made the most of being in the kitchen to help myself to a bit of bread and butter and pocketed some for later, just in case. I asked the maid a few questions, but she failed to respond at all. She just went on with her tasks like a mechanical automaton at a county fair. When she finished the washing up, she began to put the things away, gliding silently over the floor as if on runners. It was eerie to watch, but she seemed relatively content, so I let her be and asked Butler if he could show me Drummer's body. Butler pointed to a small side door and told me I was free to take a look, but he had no wish to bear witness once again. The door was made from six long vertical planks supported by two horizontal beams. It was whitewashed but showed memories of meals past with splashes of reds, greens and browns hinting at the soups, stews and pies of yesteryear. The handle was jet black cast iron with a heavy lock, but it had been badly hung so the door didn't meet the jam flush enough to engage the catch and an improvised hook and eye system had had to be used to secure it. Why am I taking such pains to describe a simple door I hear you impatiently insist? Well, I. I'm pleased you asked, actually. I'm taking these pains, not because the appearance of this door has any bearing on the story whatsoever. It is simply I wish to delay having to recount what I saw when I opened it. Your impatience has, in fact, backfired and offered me yet more opportunity to procrastinate. Now I know you could feasibly simply skip this section and move on, but I don't think you will, because it's just possible that I have concealed the name of the murdering code somewhere in the preceding sentences. Maybe by taking the first letter of every eighth word? Tiffy Iotis? Is there perhaps a Greek hermit living on Rischenstein called Tiffy Iotis? No, no there isn't. Fine. I'll tell you what was behind the door. The first thing that caught my eye was not in fact Drummer, more of him later. It was the jumble of arms and legs at the back of the cupboard. Betty had been bundled up and shoved back there like a child's toy, no longer actively wanted but hung onto for sentimental reasons. Where her face had been tomato red before, it had now settled into the deep purple of an aubergine. Her eyes were no less protruding, but the onion skin whites were now almost gone, giving her a demonic appearance. 
lesser men than I would have let out a scream at the sight of it. And indeed, just at that moment there was an odd noise which came from who knows where. I was incensed, not embarrassed, as I didn't have anything to be embarrassed about. Butler really should have warned me at least. Why didn't you tell me what was in there? I slammed the door shut and yelled, but without as much volume as I would have liked due to still being in the process of catching my breath from the shock. Well, sir, to be truthful, I thought if I didn't have to describe it, I could try and forget it. I suppose I could hardly begrudge him that. But I'd come here to see what had become of Jeff Drummer, so with a deep breath I opened the door once more. I focused all my attention on ignoring the dead-eye stare of Betty and looked at the oil drum in front of her. The lid was lying half covering the opening, and I could already see a boot adorned with Drummer's monogram poking above the surface. I lifted the lid all the way off and saw his arm lolling over the side of the barrel. Drummer had been so proud of his clean hands when I first met him, but now his straight-cut nails and diamond ring were mired in oil. Are you absolutely sure it's him? I called back past the door. I mean, have you actually seen his face? By way of answer, Butler wordlessly passed me a modest walking stick with a hooked handle, similar to a shepherd's crook. I understood what I was supposed to do and reached into the inky fluid. Managing to get perches on something, I drew it towards me and a face emerged from the gloom. It was unmistakably drummer. He actually looked quite peaceful and there was even a trace of his toothy grin in his expression. Maybe in his final moments, he'd appreciated at least the instrument by which he'd met his end. Oil for the oil man. So Drummer wasn't the killer, Criminé wasn't the killer, and poor Betty wasn't the killer. But who is? Mm. Let us know your thoughts on social media and please subscribe and share with your friends. Until next time. Ooh, spooky. Okay. <laughs>